sabbatical is kindly sponsored by wonderfully sponsored by MailChimp 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 Good morning. How are you? Good morning. How are you? I'm extremely well. You saved my bacon. I, I thought I did. Had, I say, yeah. I thought I had your little robot Skype name, but I guess I didn't. Oh, <laughs> uh, it is. Uh, yeah, it's it's mysterious. <laughs> why would it, why would it be could be anybody? Classic misdirection, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so is, is it noon there? Is that right? It is noon. Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is a good time to talk. Yeah, it's a great time to talk. I appreciate you. you. Oh, are you kidding me? Oh man, I've had a, I've had a stellar, stellar morning. It's been really oh, good. good. Yeah, how, has your morning been good? Uh, it's been pretty good. Yeah, I've accomplished a couple of things. I'm, I managed. I'm very proud of the fact that I managed to squeeze in uh, a uh, Amazon tech support call in the last uh, eight minutes before our our chat here. I didn't wow. think I was going to make it, but I did it. That's a lot of compression. Can, can I ask the nature of your service call? Uh, I uh, made some uh, purchases when I was in another state, and they changed my password because they thought it wasn't me. <laughs> yeah, I think they work with my bank on that one. <laughs> so uh, I see some purchases uh, in Seattle. Uh, you're in uh, San Francisco, is that right? Yes, yes. <laughs> I have this magical device where I I make this typing noise and then money gets spent on things and then a magic bus rides through the sky and brings big piles of paper to my home where i read them <laughs> do you get that you travel a lot do you ever get the uh, you probably got real legitimate credit cards but have you ever gotten that thing where you go to check into a hotel and they're like sorry it doesn't work and you call and they're like you moved you went somewhere different from that chair so yeah, we no, shut I, off your I, account. I, PayPal. <laughs> PayPal's great at that, by the way. They are. I know. PayPal. Oh, my God. I, actually, the cards that I have, they, they have grown pretty used to my travel schedule. So they tend not to freak out. Although I just got a new uh, card with a new bank, a new bank account, and they, they are still learning things such that uh, to the extent that when I bought glasses in Brooklyn, which is the town where I live, <laughs> they were like, whoa, hold on. Mr. 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 Colton, I don't want to get up on your grill, but it seems to me that you've been buying a lot of frames lately. <laughs> is, that, is that a normal pattern of behavior? I, I was told that I went through this with Bank of America. I went through this with PayPal. And, <clears throat> I, you know, you try not to be frustrated, right? You've been through yeah. this. You go, this is somebody, probably it's somebody whose name is, is the name they'd be having is Jim. And you know it's somebody in Bangalore and you don't want to be a dick, right? Yeah. Or, or it's somebody in like South Carolina, right? That used to have a nice job in a towel factory. And now they're answering calls from, from people with lots of, you know, credit cards. But I swear to God, I went through this whole thing with this woman where – so the thing is with these banks with me, they, they cut off your thing. It doesn't work anymore. And they don't even tell you about it. Yeah. If I do find out about it, it's in a spam box somewhere. But I don't – it's not like I, I get a notification. It's just it doesn't work. And if I'm on the road with my family or something, that's awkward. I call and first I got to do this whole voir dire of like seven minutes of describing who I am. And then they go, and then you have, you have to do the thing where you have to identify the transactions. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they read them. The gas they go, at they, a gas station in Brooklyn, is that you? And then yes. another gas station a few hours later, Mr. Colton, this just doesn't add up. <laughs> well, one I love is this one. They go, um, so I, this literally happened to me one Sunday morning. It was so frustrating. They went, now, sir, did you recently make a purchase of Clipper, Clipper card uh, on money? In San Francisco, yes, there's a clipper card from Muni, and uh, that's 20 feet away from here, and I just made that transaction, and then the ATM didn't work. Okay, sir. And what about, did you recently have a transaction from the ATM for $50? And I said, no, I just tried to take $50 out of the ATM. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so they're basically, they're reading me back all the things that they wouldn't let me do, and that's how I proved that it was me. It's, it's, right. it's like something from Brazil. Right. <laughs> So um, here's my advice. Just so you know, Jonathan, I know you travel a lot. This is this is the advice that I received from Bank of America. Two golden bars of advice from Bank of America. The first one is uh, <clears throat> that I should I should this will happen when I travel, so I should probably travel less. Or put differently, I should use my credit card less when I travel. And the other one was that I should stop buying things on the internet because that's a red flag. 
<laughs> yeah, sure. All right. So no credit card and no buying things on the internet. That sounds like a perfectly reasonable thing to ask well, of their customer. There's so many other things I could use that for. You know, I could buy a Mars bar at the Shell station. <laughs> Yeah. Well, as long as it's not too far. When you travel, you should just get American Express travelers checks. (laughs) It's just like it's just like regular money, except nobody takes them. (laughs) Nobody wants it. (laughs) Oh man, it's you. Um, you're you've been traveling less now. I'm sorry. I don't want to do an interview or anything, but like you, a big seems like a big part of your like things you've decided to do differently in the last few years must, in some part, have to do with the brutality of the road. Is that in some way true? Yes. yes. Not really? Is. No, you enjoy it. You you enjoy carrying, as I've said, I'm carrying a box of T-shirts around Scotland in the rain. <laughs> well, I hesitate because it's a, it's a very love-hate thing. You know, I, I, not the I, kids, not the kids, Jonathan, but the actual, the physical road, the literal Bing Crosby and Bob Hope road. That's what I was talking about. The, the physical road is terrible. There's nobody, there is nobody who would tell you otherwise and be honest. It's, it's terrible. Um, so, yeah, the, there, at a certain point... You know, I have to be careful because I get very grumpy on the road and it makes me start to hate what I'm doing, which feels ridiculous because I feel so fortunate to be what I'm doing. And so that's usually a flag for me when I when I when I start, you know, packing up the suitcase and I'm sort of swearing to myself under my breath. I know that I have overextended uh, myself and that I should that I should probably dial it back a bit unless I, you know, lest I start to seem completely ungrateful. Hmm. Is there any truth to that Jackson Brown song where it seems like the actual playing is probably pretty fun because you've got the kids there and they're dressed like zombies and that must be fun. But then it seems like an extraordinary amount of meta work to get to the, uh, including Paul and Storm set, the seven hours that you play. And, and so, <laughs> but that's awesome. But right, isn't there a lot of meta work that to get you to the point where you're on stage and plugged in? Oh yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, and it's all drudgery. It's like the making flight plans and and um, not only that, but the, the t-shirts and the merch and going down to the basement to count how many CDs I have and oh, I don't have this and I need to order it and oh, is it going to get there on time? And you know, how long does it take to ship from here to Chicago? And uh, should I do it in two boxes or should I try to pack something in my suitcase? And how many suitcases am I going to bring? And right. um, you know, is my uh, frequent flyer status uh, going to let me get away with 70 pounds or just 50 pounds. You know, it's Gosh. like, a, it's, it's terrible. And plus the, the whole, um, the, uh, you know, there's a lot of waiting around too. It's like you wait for, you wait in the airport, you wait, uh, at the venue for the show to start. Um, and you know, none of these things sound, you know, I'm not working in a, in an abattoir for God's sake. It's still, <laughs> I, I'm still just wearing my clothes and sitting around and reading things, but um, uh, it's hard. It adds up. And, but yeah, the, the pl- playing for people is amazing, and uh, I get a huge charge out of doing it. And from the moment I walk on stage until the moment I get off stage is the is the is really the highlight of all that I do. It really is the best thing that I do. Um, it's easy to think of that as merely a first world problem. I mean, oh, it's, oh that's fine for Jonathan Colton. It's, he has to go sell T-shirts. But I, 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 I would say, though, that anybody who's traveled has gone through this. I, I feel myself from the minute that my wife drops me off at the terminal, like the entire process, as much as I try to be, you know, a, a, a new but ardent Buddhist, like I find myself getting angrier and angrier with every step that I take because I feel more and more like there's a machine that's very slowly chewing me up. Like at every step of the way, I feel like, you know, like it's like it's like getting married or something or having a baby where there's this machinery that you think you're ready for that you're not really ready for. It just eats oh, you yeah. alive. There's a, mm-hmm. there's a baby have an industry and you're going to lose. Yeah. And, and it's the same with travel. You are really uh, – not to put too fine a point on it, but when you are at an airport and you're on a plane and you're in a taxi, for every step of that way, anything could go horribly wrong and it's never anybody's fault. Except, you know what I mean? You are completely, you're like a child. You're like an infant. You are completely at everybody's um, mercy. Do you know what I yeah. mean? Like, the taxi driver yeah. doesn't know that you, like, that your kid's sick that day. The, the person next to you on the plane with, with, with the BO and the, on the arm flab, you know, doesn't know that, like, you're, this is your fourth flight of the day and you have to be perky at, for an interview at 10 tomorrow. They got their own problems. That's what. That's the thing. Is like, I guess what I'm trying to say is that, that that chaos. It's one reason I ask people for business class when I fly. It's not because I want to be fancy. I like being fancy, but I want to feel taken care of. I just want to know if something goes horribly wrong. 
I'm not going to miss two days of my daughter's childhood. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. You know what I mean? It's like, there's. Just, I'm sorry to, to keep rambling, but like it feels like there's just a multiplicative effect to something going wrong on the road. As best evidenced by you've missed a plane, and now yeah. you've fallen down, you're like Woody, falling down into the garbage can. Like now, sure. you're just never going to get played with again. Well, and it, and it really, you know, there is a, the comfort factor, I think, should not be, you should not feel bad about wanting to do business class for the comfort factor, because... That part of the thing that is so terrible about it is you, you, your soul becomes so raw under these circumstances. And mm-hmm. maybe it's because you are at the mercy of this machine, or maybe it's because you're in a giant metal bubble that's traveling thousands of feet above the ground. <laughs> against, against all logic and reason. <laughs> all odds is <it's> somehow <laughs> staying in the air. Uh, you know, so every little bit of, I find myself like, you know, I'll get to the airport um, and bring my carry-on to the extremely crowded waiting area, and I immediately like go up to the Starbucks and get the the milkiest, sweetest, uh, whipped creamiest beverage I can. I spend eight dollars on the most ridiculous girl beverage I can find. It's like the mo- the the Rufi Macchiato. <laughs> yeah, the nappy and, drink. And, you want the nappiest drink they've got, right? And it's because I want. It's like, damn it, I want some comfort, and that is. And so having business classes like that, you know, my friend, my friend, Brett Martin did a very interesting uh, piece of a writer and uh, uh, did a thing in this American life about how you uh, when you're on an airplane, there's this phenomenon. If you watch a movie on an airplane, it can be like Beethoven for <laughs> the quickening and you will weep like a baby yeah. by the end of it. And it's a very strange phenomenon. And I think it I think it just has to do with how how vulnerable you feel under those circumstances that the, just the tiniest, the tiniest whiff of sentimentality. It's like Stockholm, way. Stockholm syndrome. Yeah. I noticed also by the end of the flight, I've noticed that even over like a two or three hour flight, <clears throat> totally doable flight, like my feet swell. I, I, I can barely move by the end of the flight. Like I can't bend very well. And I, yeah. I my family um, has been watching a lot of WALL-E. Uh, lately, and I feel like one of the people in those little floaty chairs. Where <laughs> I feel like I, my, I've had probably bone loss during the flight, and by the end, where they're saying, "Sir, please put your chair up," I'm like, "Well, rubble, rubble. <laughs> what well, can't move fat feet? You know, can't, my shoes won't fit on." And I bet the thin air is part of it. But here's the other thing, Jonathan, and this this gets to the complexity of your whole deal. I think is <clears throat> there are these weird, invisible, or sometimes visible dependencies. Like in your case, it's not – like in my case, it's like, okay, go to Phoenix, Arizona and fly back. It's not that complicated, even if there's one change in plane. But according to our, our mutual friend John Roderick, and I think according to you, if you're going to somewhere like Europe, it, and they might as well be different countries. They're so different. <laughs> 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 like if you're going to be in a different part of Germany, like you're really going to want the Heidelberg guy on your side because they're not talking to each other. There's no continuity of care. It's yep. not like you got some like Matt Hickey character who's like coming and yelling at everybody for you. Like you're you're going to have a lot of heavy lifting to do on your own. And if I guess I'm and first of all, a I want to know if that's accurate because that sounds insane. And 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 b it just strikes me that if you do miss that plane, if it is late, if you don't get those t-shirts, well, those t-shirts are one way that you make money. It's not like you know what I mean. It's <laughs> that's your job. Like you can't do part of your job. And if you have to wait an extra hour because supposedly the German version of FedEx is going to bring that there, that adds complexity because now you you can't go to Liechtenstein or whatever, right? Oh yeah, and it's and it's it's incredibly it's incredibly stressful because uh, you know this is you're, you're at work you're at work the whole time and not only that but this is this is any way you look at it it's a risky proposition like at any point at any point along the way uh, one of these shows can turn into a financial disaster you know if you if you don't show up or if your if your merch doesn't arrive on time then suddenly you have uh, you know you've made this bargain where you've taken all this time away from your home. And family, and you've lost money, and it's it's the worst. You know, it's 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 such a horrible insight to an already grievous in, injury. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, I um, I could barely make it through that Anvil movie. Really, really good documentary about this Canadian metal band that used to be playing on the level of like Metallica and stuff. And it's just it's just the brutality of their horribly mismanaged, you know, twenty years too late career and just showing up showing up in like Eastern European countries and there's like five people at the show. And they have to yeah. still get up there and rock like it's Wembley or something. And and that um I don't know. I th- I think though that complexity and those and those dependencies are what's so interesting because 
and this this gets me to like the real reason, one of the real reasons I wanted to have you on here, apart from my enjoy your sexy voice, is is that it seems like you in the, in the first third or two thirds of your career so far, you had a lot of control over what you did and when and with whom. And you kind of, you're, it seems like your main metric in some ways might have been, well, I hope this keeps going okay. But you had kind of your own release schedule. You might have decided to do a thing a week, but that was your decision. It seems like in the last few years, you've willfully, deliberately committed to owing more people more things on a slightly more challenging level. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I would say that's completely accurate. Yeah. We should give examples um, of that. I mean, we've talked a little bit about this amazing record, Artificial Heart, that you've been working on for a while. And um, we don't have to get to it now, but I, I really like you. I've talked about it on the show here on Back to Work, and I really like you at some point to talk a little bit about the number of astoundingly new things that you've chosen to do with this <laughs> at one time. <laughs> but that's part of it, right? You, you get a producer, you get studio time, you got to go write songs. It seems like you're doing a lot of things where you've committed to something ahead of time to other people, and you've probably spent money ahead of time on things. Can you talk about, about what, those kinds of things and, and how it's changed your approach? Yeah, I, I think that, that that the well, first of all, let me say that the you know the very first time I I, I talked myself into doing thing a week uh, was not that different a decision from all of those decisions you just described, which is to say that it was it was me saying, okay, I'm I'm in this place in my life, I'm stuck, you know, I want to go to this other place that I can kind of imagine, but I'm not really sure what it looks like, I'm not entirely sure how to get there. Um, you know, what I, what I need to do is put a stake in the ground and, and say, I'm going to do this for a while. And I need to make it a, I mean, make it a commitment that I can't back down from not like, Oh, I should really drink less soda, but like, (laughs) you know, here's, here's a specific thing that I'm going to do. And, uh, in the case of thing a week, it was telling the internet, I'm going to do this thing and being terrified of not living up to that obligation in front of everybody on the internet, you know? Um, and, and, and so, um, you know, it was the same when I first started playing live, it was like, here's a, here's a thing that terrifies me. Um, I don't know if anybody's going to show up. I don't know how to, I don't really know how to perform on stage. I don't always feel that comfortable in my own body. (laughs) I can't, I can't play the guitar that well, all these things, you know, strangers, dude, just strangers. You don't know any of those people. Oh, I know. That's, that's the worst part. <laughs> you don't know what they. You don't know that they like you. They're just in the audience, right? Anybody. At first, at first, anyway, right? It must have been really bewildering the first couple times, and it went really well. And then you're thinking, like, well, who knows? It must be a crapshoot every time you walk out. Oh yeah, and I did a lot of shows before, you know, before Thing a Week and and my the small measure of fame that I was getting in those days. But I did a lot of shows that were just, you know, a bunch of friends and some guy who was there by accident. Um, and that's really demoralizing to do a show where nobody's listening to you or where nobody showed up, um, which is one of the things that kept me out of it and afraid of it for so long. Um, and then, yeah, you know, I think that the, recently the the new album started when Flansburg offered to uh, produce after I had opened for them for a few dates. John Flansburg, John Flansburg, the uh, bespectacled one of They Might Be Giants. Yes, exactly. Um, and he's uh, the one who's he's the one whose songs go dong dong dong. <laughs> and then there's a saxophone. Is that him? That's him, right? It's him. That's his songs, right? I kind of get them. I kind of get them. Uh, I, there, I, there's a lot of things that I thought were uh, Linnell that I think are actually Flansburg. Now that I've been uh, closer to the process and talking talking to them a lot more, but. Um, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, um, you know, I opened for them a few dates and then they, and then Flansburg came up to me after, after one of the shows and said, Hey, what's going on? What are you doing? And <laughs> said, what do you mean? He said, well, what's your, what's your, what's your, what's your scene? What's your story? <laughs> uh, and we had a little conversation and, um, and he said, you should make a new record and, uh, I should produce that record. And I said, okay. <laughs> But uh, let me think about it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, of course, you know, I've been a fan of theirs forever. And so I was, I was thrilled. Uh, at that point, I was still uh, thrilled and terrified to be in the same room with him. So the fact that he was offering to produce my record was crazy. But uh, I said yes. And then sometime later, we had this uh, meeting. Uh, we had lunch together to talk about plans in which I, uh, I sort of came at it from the perspective of, well, this new album is going to be... I'll just play the acoustic guitar in my room (laughs) and that'll be the album. Okay. And he was like, no, you should play electric guitar and you should have a band. 
And um, Mr. Flansburg in the industry is renowned for, is it fair to say, for having a a vision and a somewhat strong personality to back it up? Is that anywhere near fair to say? <laughs> he works so hard and and executes so well. I have right. never seen anybody accomplish the way he accomplished. It sounds like a very, I mean, just from what, talking to you, it sounds like a very contrasting style to what you had done before of being, you know, a mellow guy, but he's... But the way you described it, he would come in and say things like, go write, go write three songs by Friday. <laughs> like, he's yeah. got a vision, right? Yeah. Or, or he would say, you know, he, um, at some point we were, uh, it's going to be a self-released album, but at some point we were talking about the possibility of looking into label deals and stuff like that. And uh, at some point he said, um, uh, I, I had had a meeting with a label person that he set me up with. It was a really interesting meeting. I liked the guy a lot. I was kind of thinking about maybe doing something with them. Um, and Flansburg asked me, we're walking down the street getting coffee between studio sessions. And he said, how did your meeting with the guy go? And I said, oh, good. I'm supposed to call. I owe him a phone call back. Um, but it was pretty good, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm talking to him and he <laughs> takes the phone out of his pocket and he calls the guy <laughs> and gets, gets his voicemail and says, Hey, it's Flansburg. Colton wants to know what's up. Call me back. <laughs> That's old school. Yeah. And it's really like the difference between my approach to, wow. Getting work done in his, I mean, that's a perfect illustration of it. I'm Because me, my thing is to say like, oh, yeah, I got to call that guy. And here's what I got to call him about. Hmm. Calling, calling, calling. When will I call him? And he's like, I got to call that guy. Beep, 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 beep. And he calls him, which is crazy. To me. I better take a week to figure out how to make him like me. <laughs> right. <laughs> I want to take a minute to thank a great new sponsor this week. It's an OS X app called Byword. And I am a huge fan. ByWord is a beautiful writing app. It supports rich text, but it also supports my beloved Markdown. I love Markdown. I live in Markdown. Consequently, these days, I really do live in ByWord. You've heard me talk about ByWord before on the show. I love the simplicity of the UI. I love the way it lets me focus on my words. No junk, no chrome, no dancing sausages, just words. I'm going to tell you more about some of the nerd stuff in ByWord in future episodes, but right now, just know this, ByWord is way more than just another full-screen writing app. But the beauty part is it is way less than one of those word processing apps with all the heavy stuff that I will kill myself if I ever have to use again. I just love this app. It is a serious tool for serious work. It is my go-to writing app every day. And actually, the words that you're hearing right now were written in ByWord. Nothing wrong with that. To learn more about ByWord, please visit bywordapp.com bywordapp.com. It's in show notes. Many thanks to Byword for supporting 5x5 and back to work. Well, let me ask you, at, the, at that time, I mean, that must have just been as much as you get to hang with the, the, the serious nerdorati. That must have been pretty amazing. Um, can I ask, at, at about the time that that happened, you say, you say you, oh, I'm going to put out this record with acoustic guitars. You knew, you knew that it was time for another record. Um, but what, where were you in terms of what you felt like was coming next? Because I think it's super interesting that you've you've chosen in the way you have to, I don't know if you've just gotten thrown into it, the way you've kind of chosen to keep evolving a little bit every few years, it seems like you've got a, you know, a dot release every few years of yourself. And I'm just I'm just curious about where where you thought you were apart from just doing an album of acoustic songs. Like what what did you what did you see happening next in terms of your songwriting and was it really just an iteration on what you'd done so far at that point? Well, honestly, I was a little frustrated because I couldn't, I didn't have a, I didn't have a vision. You know, at the end of thing a week, I was, I was tired. Um, and I was also just getting into touring. Uh, so I spent the next few years dribbling out songs at a really deplorable rate. Um, and <laughs> deplorable and to you or to the, just, you felt like you weren't producing enough. Is that, I, f- I felt like I was not producing enough and I, I wasn't, I wasn't producing well enough that, you know, there were a couple of good songs in that, in that stretch, but nothing that really, you know, I think I was coming down from the high of, of all the, all the viral successes that happened over the course of thing a week. And you know how that is. You get one of those and you keep, you spend the rest of your life waiting for the next one. Mm -hmm. Um, And the songs that I had done, you know, and just released a song at a time were okay. Some of them were good. Uh, some of them have turned out to be become, you know, they've sort of become beloved parts of the canon. That's, that's really nice. But at the time, none of them really made a big splash. And I was kind of like, well, what am I, what am I doing here? You know, what, what, what is the, what is the point of all this? And why is it not, um, why is it not super exciting for me anymore? And, uh, and, and I think, uh, 
So I, I really didn't have too many expectations about what to do next. I didn't have any ideas about what to do next. I knew I wanted, I knew I wanted to feel as um, alive and out of control as I did when I was doing thing a week. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I didn't, I didn't have any specific uh, ideas about how to how to get there. Um, so when this opportunity came along, uh, you know, the fact that it was so scary made me think like, ooh, yes, you know, that's sort of that's sort of like warmed up all the all the danger elements in my brain and and i sort of felt felt a little touch of that again and i I wanted to i wanted to go down that road but something something in you knew that it was was it something where you 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 felt guaranteed that it was going to turn out great because it was john flansburg or was there some part of you i'm it's a leading question but i wonder if there was some part of you where you realized this this is something of a Something not maybe it's a slightly not, I don't want to say risky, but there, there's something to this where I don't really know how this will shake out. You didn't expect him to be like your dad or anything, right? I mean, you knew that this was going to be something, <laughs> right? You know what I mean? Like that. But the thing is, Jonathan, what am I saying? I say that because I relate. I really relate to that idea of going. I'm not sure what's going on. The next green car that passes by means she loves me, or something like that. I'm looking for all of these um, tea leaves right. that are going to tell me what the next thing is. <clears throat> and I, I absolutely know what you mean. So one thing we talk about a lot, the reason I'm asking all these dumb questions is on the show, we talk a lot about how we know when it's time to do something else. And, you know, obviously, gosh, one reason you come up so often on here is that at least in the public canon, the story goes, and I think it's a reasonable story, is that you seem like, you know, you've been pretty successful so far at making a leap that a lot of people would find very difficult and perhaps even a gamble more than even a risk. So I, I'm really especially interested in those evolutions because, anyway, I'm rambling on, but, but, but it just seems like when I heard, when you told me, we had a call one time, and you told me, you're going into the studio, there's going to be people like Smokey Hormel in there, <laughs> John Flansburg, you're writing songs. It just seems like that must have been a lot of demands to have to manage, even with good demands. It must have been a lot. There must have been days that were tough in all of that. Yeah, I mean... You know, the first time I did everything was the hardest, and then it got easier from there. But yeah, the 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 you know, I remember the first first time I delivered a song to Flansburg was really really tough. Um, uh, the first one I wrote was really hard to write, and hearing his comments was really hard. <laughs> um, hmm. And uh, yeah, I don't I don't think I had any. I didn't know how it was going to go at all. I mean, you know, I don't I don't have. Um, uh, he's, he's produced a lot of their stuff and he's produced a couple of other records, but I didn't have a great sense mm-hmm. for what he was like as a producer. Um, you know, I knew that I liked, I liked, uh, liked his stuff a lot. Um, uh, and I, I had also never really collaborated with anybody on that level before. I didn't even know if I was going to like that process. Um, uh, so yeah, there were a number of ways in which it was, it was sort of a mystery how it was going to go. And it could have, could have gone horribly. We could have had terrible fights and we could have ended up producing something that was, um, <laughs> unlistenable, but you know, I, 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 I am, uh, I think we were both sort of delighted at, at how well we got along and how, how well we were able to, um, work together, um, and, and make things, uh, it was, you know, he, he pushed me in all the right ways and I, I, um, I feel like I was able to deliver for the most part um, the stuff that he was asking for. And, and he, he contributed a lot of great ideas and um, you know, but yeah, it was, it was a very, it was a really tough step to take uh, because of that reason. It could, I felt, you know, in the back of my mind, I felt like this could be, this could be a mistake. <laughs> I mean, every time you right. do something, it could be a mistake. It's, it's especially it's, if you're an overthinker. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not talking about you. <laughs> I mean, no, don't you I think? Mean. Don't you think? I think we're both. I mean, I I know I'm that way. I mean, I one thing I want to ask you um, is, so when you went in, when you went in with Flansburg, or you knew you were going in with Flansburg, that must have felt like a little bit like somebody turned on your hot plate a little bit in terms of like well, now I've got to go start. You know, you obviously you had some songs that were ready, but I'm just curious about how. When you started, when you when you were preparing to work with him, or when I say work with him, I guess we're, we sh- you should also maybe talk a little bit about everybody because you you collaborated with. Gosh, you got Suzanne Vega on here, you got John Roderick, whoever he is, and you got the, the Tegan and Sarah uh, woman, Sarah. What's her last name? Quinn. 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 Beautiful, beautiful voice. Yeah. So there's all the <clears throat> artistic collaborators you've got, and what's the drummer's name? 
from Mar- uh, Marty Beller from the Mighty oh, Giants. Jeez, Louise! I know he's very good. That guy's uh, a monster. Chris, Chris Anderson is the is the bass player. He's he's terrific as well. Uh, he's got a part on one song I just don't understand. It's like you near know, the beginning of one of the songs, and I, I had to listen to it like four times. It might be a keyboard. I just don't understand what he's doing. It's very <laughs> it's very bananas. <laughs> but a really talented group. Again, I mean, it's like walking into with the Muscle Shoals guys or something. <laughs> Suddenly you're surrounded by all these pros. How did it yeah. change your I mean, once you started jumping in, how did it change the kinds of songs you wanted to write? You, you know, you have a. I've talked to Roderick about this yesterday. Like, you have such a. You have. You listen to something like your, the early, especially the earlier stuff, where you know you're writing in this persona of this sort of disaffected character that ends up being this was wonderfully humane story that's not really about cyanists and mad zombies. It's really about alienation in some ways. I don't know. If, I don't know if you would look at it that way, but that seems like a theme that runs through a lot of what you do in a very funny way. Oh, but, yeah. but you know, were you ready to try some different things in terms of songwriting, and how did this affect that? Uh, you know, I think when I first started, I wasn't. Uh, um, I wouldn't say that I was ready to to try new things. I, I really, uh, I really feel like I went through a transformation songwriting wise during this process because you know when I started and the first couple of things that I delivered to him sound to me very much like uh, uh, old old Colton. I, you know, I don't want to overstate this, and I think right. a lot of this is in my own head. Um, <laughs> But, that doesn't but, mean it's not real. Well, of course, of course. But I don't know if I don't know if other people are as finely tuned to my what I consider to be my bag of tricks and my 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 standard. Uh, you know, like I know I know which parts of these songs and which of these songs are most like what I am a mat this construct in my head about the me before this album, <laughs> right? And which which ones are a part of the future me after this album? I don't know the extent to which there's actually a difference. I, I could never know because I'm too close to it. But but certainly when I was first, the first few that I wrote and sent to him felt like like old me. And then and then he would he would push me in certain directions and he would say, you know, this is good, but um, here's how it could be stronger, and here's how it could be weirder, hmm. and here's how it could be scarier. Um, and um, over and over again, wow. here's how here's how it could be shorter. Um, they're very, editing. they're very pithy. You get in and you get out in a lot of those, some of those especially poppy, the, the, the post Springfield, the, uh, poppy ones. I once described you to someone as being Rick Springfield, like, like Rick Springfield, but way, way better. It's, it's got that <laughs> wonderful, catchy, you can't get it out of your head quality. You've always had that for sure. This one, but the, the songs on this are a lot crunchier and they are, they're very, they're, I don't know how to describe it without sounding like a value. They're good. They're just so, they're so, there's such a pop in the nose. Some of them, they get in and get out and you're expecting another chorus, but like it's over and you're like, that was so great. Yeah. I, well, I, I, I have long been uh, a huge fan of the, of the two minute pop song. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, there are a number of great ones. Uh, and, and they just, they just have that thing where they are so, they're so delicious and so wonderful. And they just, they just come and leave, and and you don't even know what happened, and 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 you know. But they're just these perfect little nuggets of pop, and and I I tend to be a little more long winded, you know. And I <laughs> when I write, when I write, I tend to there's a there's two parts to the verse, and then there's a chorus, and then there's another two parts to the verse, and then a chorus, and then let's do a long bridge, let's do a long wide ranging bridge. That, yeah, the bridge uh, is where the story comes together, though. That's the turn, no, as they I, would I say. Your your bridges are where, like, where the real the heart comes out, and you're like, that's the point where right. the guy turns to the audience, and goes, "No, wait a minute, I want you to really understand this." <laughs> right, I, well, I'm being nice to her. <laughs> right, right. Well, this is the Colton song, right? The Colton, the Colton song, the Colton song is like uh, verse one, wackadoodle subject, couple of jokes. <laughs> Uh, verse verse two, develop the jokes. Um, hint hint at some sadness. Right. Uh, bridge. Uh, 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 this is the this is the point at which the story becomes. Well, don't forget the soaring. You got the soaring chorus. This, this, this. Oh sure, soaring chorus goes without saying. Soaring chorus. Uh, you know, probably hooky. Um, possibly uh, opportunity for. Uh, a double meaning or, or a little extra meaning that you can extract later, maybe a little ambiguous. Also, but. also where where the pr- protagonist, if you like, of of the song seems least self aware. Yes, indeed, indeed, that is the 
that is the time when the the protagonist is he's, he might as well just be singing a song at that point. He's not really <laughs> talking to you. Um, and then in the bridge, we really develop the story, or we really reveal something about the character. Something dramatic happens. Um, uh, there might be a solo, but it might just get kind of <laughs> kind of loud, and then it stops. And there's a resting point as we reflect. Uh, the third verse, the third a, a sejura, a short sejura. Yeah. The third verse starts very soft. The third third verse is totally broken down, right. um, and uh, the character is at his most vulnerable at that point. Um, and then we build to a final joke or a final twist uh, throughout the the uh, the also musically building uh, third verse. And then uh, when we're back to the chorus, uh, it is imbued with new meaning. And now we finally understand this character. And then we're out. At like four and a half minutes later, we're out. We have a great sponsor back this week. It's one of my favorite companies, and they make one of my all-time favorite apps. I'm talking about Smile Software and a fantastic typing shortcut app called Text Expander. I love Text Expander. And there's big news in Nerdland this week. Text Expander on your Mac now round trip syncs with Text Expander Touch on your iOS devices all through the magic of Dropbox. So that means whether you're on your Mac or your other Mac, your iPad, your iPhone, your iPod Touch, your i, what have you, you'll have access to all of your stuff updated, taken care of for you. This is great news. Uh, I make a bunch of snippets right on my phone all the time, markdown shortcuts, email signatures. It's great to know that this is taken care of for me. I'm an exceedingly lazy man, and so this is the app for me, and brother, is this ever the feature for me. Right now, you can get 20% off Text Expander or any of Smell's other great apps. Just visit smellsoftware.com slash B2W. That's B, numeral 2W. Use the coupon code B2W811. And we want to thank Smile very much for making such fantastic software and for supporting 5x5 and Back to Work. So that's, <laughs> that's what I think that's uh, but it wor- the thing is it worked and you can act like it's a ch- I mean I, we're, we're kidding and I'll be, I can think of at least three or four songs at every step of the way that kind of not exactly but kind of fit and yeah I, I get I, I get the joke is what I'm saying and right. I could hear the explosive like I, I know exactly what you're talking about <laughs> and I'm not gonna be that guy but but I know what you're saying but I, I think that's tantalizing it must be you probably at the time were not aware of that but no. I mean you know P- Paul a lot of Paul's bridges have a similar role to John's verses in a lot of songs. They and and vice versa, right? John's always the one life is very short and there's no time, right? He's got he's got to have the counterpoint to what Paul Paul's upbeat try to see it my way, you know. You know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. I I think even when you're writing by yourself, you you found something that was comfortable to you. And but but then but then also we went in there and like on the very first track on uh, did I hear it in the running order? You did, yes. Oh, it's great. It's a great. It's a great running order. The okay. uh, sticking the song "Sticking It to Myself." Is it okay to talk about these a little bit? Yeah, of course. Yeah, the song "Sticking It to Myself," which I had heard in a demo, not a demo version, but a before a lot of this fairy dust was on it. Like, how mm-hmm. does Flansburg say to you, "Okay, this is going to have completely bananas horns on it"? So, <laughs> do you know that, or is that part of the songwriting <laughs> process, or does he just do you just collaborate with him on what this needs more of to make the point? It just seems like your songs must start out as strummed on a guitar a lot of the time. I'm, I'm guessing, or on a keyboard. Like you're not you're not you're not sitting there with the uh, what's the fancy pants thing? What do you play the Zen drum? It's Zendrum, like you're composing yeah. on a Zen drum, right? No, I, I don't think I've composed on a Zen drum. <laughs> okay, just to capture that. That that would be an interesting EP. Yeah, the, no, the, it's 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 a frequently frequently guitar. I you know I try to write on ukulele or sometimes even bass or keyboard when I can. But um, you know, guitar is where I gravitate to. And the songs that I delivered to Flans were always um, guitar vocal demos. Uh, and if, if I if I had some ideas for arrangement or or extra vocals, I might throw those in. But mostly it was just guitar and vocal demos. And then, you know, we would go in. I would go in and rehearse with the band without Flansburg, uh, and we would learn it. And Marty would come up with something, and Chris would come up with something, and and we'd, you know, we'd decide together what the groove was going to be like or how the uh, you know, frequently the form would change then, and we'd decide. You know what? There's too many, uh, there's too many verses, and it's boring, and we need a bridge. Or you know what? This is the wrong way to start this song. It needs to start here. Um, and then we would bring it to Flansburg. He'd have some suggestions, and then we we'd sort of get the rhythm set, the rhythm section down, mm-hmm. get the three of us going, um, and then take a break and move on to something else. Um, and actually, the the horns after we had all the guitars and drums and the scratch vocal in there, you know, I was definitely hearing crazy horns 
in there. Okay. Uh, and but so, it, might, it might have been like a little bit of a counterpoint, kind of you're humming a long part you didn't realize, and then that, that that's all. It wasn't like you sat there and wrote charts for oh, it or something. Oh, no. No, in fact, uh, you know, I was, I was not even in the studio when those horns were done, which is like the culmination of a dream about being a rock star. The you idea sh- you that You show I, up I, one like, day and there's horns on your song. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's, like the, I, it's like the shoemaker and the elves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, I sing into a machine, and then sometime later, the producer makes it off. awesome, you know. Uh, so it was thrilling. And no, he's, he's got a, a guy. It's the guy who... Uh, uh, I'm blanking on his name right now. His name is Stan. Uh, Stan. Uh, um, <laughs> you'll edit this part out, right? So I don't look like such a juice ba- douchebag. Hey, nice pull, Colton. <laughs> uh, Stan. No, I last his, name. I, I don't remember it. Stan Harrison. I don't remember his name because I haven't. I didn't. Wasn't there did he do me. all of them? He did. Did he do all the horns? Yeah, I I Whoa. wasn't there, uh, but he he came in. Uh, you know, I was, I was on vacation or I was, uh, touring. Oh, I was in, I was in Europe. Right. I was in Europe while my producer was finishing up. <laughs> you and your album. t-shirts. Uh, right. Me and my t-shirts. And, uh, and Stan, Stan came in, you know, Flansburg sent him the song and said, we want crazy horns. Stan listens, comes in, um, and says, I got some ideas, lays down 12 tracks, uh, one at a time. Uh, and everybody's oh my like, God, that's insane. Well, I know some of this doubled, it, but he's what he's bringing in like a berry and he's bringing in uh, like, he's just, he's, he's doing, I'm just curious. Like, so tw- 12 tracks. Yeah. I, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. It's tight um, as hell. He's like Steve Vai. I mean, you can't hear anything. It's like, you know, I mean, in the sense of like, it does not sound, it sounds fat as hell, but super tight. He's playing these really weird chromatic lines in this one part that just, yeah. But it's not, it's, anyway, I'm, it sounds I can't believe that, that that is that tight. It sounds amazing. It's, yeah, it's thrilling. It's thrilling and exciting. Uh, and, uh, and it also is, it, you know, what I, the reason I wanted something like that, um, uh, and, you know, I didn't know how to make it happen. This is a perfect example of why I'm so <laughs> grateful that Flans was there, is because all along the way, as I've been writing these songs and recording them in my home studio, there's always something where I'm like, oh, you know what would be awesome? This kind of thing. And I have not even the tiniest beginning of an idea about how to make that happen. So this is not the first time that I've, I've wanted crazy horns on a track, but I don't know any horn players. <laughs> right. I don't know how to record a horn. I don't know how to arrange for horns. Um, and so it was really nice to be able to say, what about crazy horns? And for Flansburg to say, yep, I know how to do that. I got a guy. And then he comes in and does it. And it's amazing, you know, um, or there's another, there's another example of that on the there's a song called Today with Your Wife, which is like a sad mm-hmm. piano song. Um, and the horn, there's horns in there, too. It's a guy named Dan Levine, who I was there for this. And it was similarly amazing. He came in with a bunch of trombones and laid down all these trombone parts to make that <laughs> horn sound. And that did, came did, from. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, I love this story. Yeah. <laughs> and that came from a conversation with uh, Flansburg when, you know, we had, we had recorded, I had done, done the guitar demo. I was thinking about it as a guitar, guitar song. Um, and he was like, let's try, let's try some piano. Um, and so uh, uh, we brought in a piano player uh, who played, uh, who'd learned the song and just made it this arrangement. Um, and it was great. And then we were listening to it and, and saying, well, what does it need? What does it need? And I said, I don't know, something, a keyboard or something. And Flansburg goes, I know what it is, trombones. I'm like, you are crazy. Trombones? <laughs> you mean like, bye. Wow. <laughs> How do you, well, the beautiful part is, did, did he have like a certain number in mind? I seem to remember you saying he was like seven trombones or something. Yeah, he said, here's what we do. We get, we get, uh, we get Dan in here, uh, and Dan will do like a, a trombone cloud. <laughs> is that is that a thing? I, don't I would know. love to get to a point. I don't care what. I don't even care what it's about. I would just love to get to a point in my life where I could pull something like that out of the air in in my the area of my expertise, where I could just go, yeah. you know what this needs, and you would just you would just know this needs a section like James Joyce or whatever. I, I would be it would be amazing to be able to do that. Yeah. So yeah. he hears he's hearing on like a kind of deeper dimension than a lot of us. He's hearing a, like a full rounded thing. Yeah, and he he thinks so hard about songs and and just the concept of a song. Like mm-hmm. he is, I mean, that's his craft, obviously. But he he has a great sense for song. I don't know how else to put it, but he he knows he knows what makes what makes for great flow in the lyrics. He knows he's got great ideas for how to make uh, an arrangement that is 
uh, fresh and interesting, um, but also you know poppy and delicious. And it's it's so yeah. All along all along the way, there was stuff like that where you know he would come out of the blue with something that seemed you know crazy, <laughs> right? And, and then he would pull a lever, and it would just happen. <laughs> There's lots of parts, which I really like. All those little little parts. There's a lot of movement in the songs. It's really it's really nice. Let's let's see. Yeah, no, it's it's great. I mean, you're you're. I've really been enjoying it. It's. I think it's. I think it's gonna be giant. And it sounds really. I don't, there's no word to put this without sounding like like showbiz or something. But it's it's really polished. Not like your other stuff isn't. But each song has its own personality in the way that it's produced. That really, it sounds of a whole, but. It's each one has its own little world, which is what I one thing I really like about your music is each one is its own little self-contained world. Partly, probably because of the point of view, but in this case, a lot of the point of view comes from the way the song sounds, which is very manicured in some ways. There's really there's like there's a one point again in that first track where it kind of turns turns in from horns into a guitar, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you don't even hear it coming, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. Let me ask you um, a, a kind of a left fielder. I, I, I'm kind of obsessed with the idea of what I've called agency and, and how you know what you should trust and to whom. And I'm just curious, as you've made this evolution from, from um, you know, I don't want to overstate the whole being a guy on your own because clearly you've always had support on some level. You must have had employers who thought it was okay for you to take, get off early to go set up somewhere. You've obviously got your family that's supporting you in one way or another. You've had lots of, uh, you know, friends who have encouraged you. But in the time that you went from being, you know, pure, purely the animus for this till the time when you said, okay, I really, there must have been a time where you said, I got to start getting help. You've got, I think, what have you said, like a booking agent and a manager. Like, how do you know when it's time to entrust somebody in the same way that you've entrusted Flansburg with the sound and personality of your album? How do you know when it's time to get help and how do you know who to trust with that? Um, knowing when you need to get help, I think is, it's easy, it's easy to know when you want help, but it's hard, it's hard to actually take the step to ask for help. Is it easy? I mean, are you, are you good at admitting that? Are you good at admit, I mean, like, I just, I don't know, I'm just curious, because I think it's one thing to like kind of vaguely feel uncomfortable about something, and it takes a whole, it seems to me anyway, that it takes a whole other level of self-awareness to go, I really need to get from some help with this. Well, the, 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 the stumbling block for me is when does it become... This is how I think of it. When does it become worth it to have somebody else do it, right? Because there's, there's, uh, you know, you can as you're as you're counting t-shirts in your basement <laughs> and realizing that you forgot to order mediums again. Um, you don't sell a lot of mediums. Nice try. <laughs> I do. Uh, I do in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> to to the children. <laughs> to the children. Yeah. Uh, uh, but you know, it's, it's easy under those circumstances to say, Oh, I wish somebody else were handling my t-shirts for me. But, and, and I say that all the time with everything that I do, but, uh, the harder step is saying is coming to the decision that, you know what, it is worth, uh, and it's worth a certain amount of money to me, uh, to hand this over to somebody else and a certain amount of risk, uh, that to get to the second part of your question, that the person I find and vet and you know do my best job trying to figure out if the, the a person who's going to do this well um uh you know the hassle of dealing with that process and knowing and and maybe deciding that it didn't work well after all and you have to stop it like that's that's the most terrifying part we would like to extend a very special thanks to our friends at mailchimp for sponsoring dan's sabbatical from back to work uh, as you may know, we love these guys. Uh, if you don't know MailChimp, we'll shame on you. It's a great service that helps you design email newsletters, share them on social networks, and then integrate them with the services you already use. Uh, best of all, you can track your results, which is aces in my book. Uh, it is, as I like to say uh, to my wife and anyone who listen, it's like your own personal publishing platform. And it is. It's really cool. It's really pretty. Uh, it's a service that Dan and I both use, and we enjoy it. So please do check them out at MailChimp.com. And seriously, MailChimp has been a really good friend of 5 by 5 and uh, we know they'll be a swell pal for you too. So please go, MailChimp.com. Uh, we really appreciate MailChimp supporting 5 by 5 Back to Work, and especially Dan's sabbatical from Back to Work. Thanks, guys. It's opportunity cost, because for me, a barrier, and I have to imagine this works for you on some level, it's like I find myself, my brain just starts running and running and running through. Not only do I have to pay this person to do it, I'm going to have to pay them to show them. And I almost inevitably, for a long time, end up back on, I'll just do it myself. It's not even that I'm that great at it. Either I will do this myself or I will ignore it. And, Mm -hmm. And to me, the problem becomes when I get four things like that. 
Do you know what I mean? And I really, you, you put it well by, by saying, you know, uh, money and risk, but also, you know, kind of money and opportunity. And like, you know, not to make it about productivity, but like, I really believe in this idea of not having to carry around too much stuff in your brain that would be better going somewhere else. And so in your case, if you've got to make a flight, like it's your job, you're vice president in charge of making the flight. You shouldn't also be chairman of the t-shirts on some level, right? You, you've got to stay focused on the things only you are capable of doing. You know, somebody else can tune your guitar, but only you can play the song, right? It's, part of it seems like must be coming up with like what you can afford mentally, not just financially, but mentally to give to other people. And how do you find the people you trust? That's, that must be some yeah. part of it, right? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And it's hard, it's hard to find people that you trust. And, and totally. you know, it, 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 uh, it's, a, it's a process. I have found that anytime, anytime I uh, have somebody else in to do some of my stuff, you know, from the most mundane to the most uh, uh, complex and personal, you know, it's, like, it's, it's, it's always a process, a negotiating thing that has to happen where you, I, I have to, I have to, you know, I have to force myself to delegate. I have to force myself to let go of things because no matter who it is, they're never going to do it exactly the way I would want it done. In, at, and least, at, least, at least in your head. Cause that's the other thing is until you, it would be like going like, Oh, I'm not sure I want to hire a dentist because here's how I would do it if I were a dentist. Whereas you, you might just go to the dentist and they go, well, I'm just gonna clean your teeth. You're fine. You know what I mean? For the overthinker's dilemma in some way mm -hmm. of like, because I think what we, uh, I'll say for myself, sometimes what I don't take into account is that I'm going to learn a lot from this other person. It's not just that I have to instruct them. If I work with somebody who's much more organized mentally than I am, as well as physically, then I actually will learn a lot from them. I will learn to adapt to their system rather than feeling overwhelmed with making them adopt, adopt my system. But I find personally, I just I find that extremely challenging. And in your case, like it might not be. I hate to keep falling back on the t-shirts, but it might not be. It might not be until you're trucking the t-shirts around that you realize the severity of that. And now you don't even have time to write it down because you got to go catch a plane. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. And the, the you know it really hits home where when I when I lose money for some reason because I wasn't I wasn't organized and I didn't think ahead and you know whatever it is whatever whatever um, I mean. T-shirts. We'll stay with T-shirts because it's, it's a great example. You know, when I when I fail to bring enough T-shirts to an event, um, that is me leaving money on the table, mm -hmm. um, and it's me leaving money on the table because I didn't have a, enough bandwidth uh, to get done what I needed to get done. You know, I did not I did not come to the uh, experience with the most efficient T-shirt plan I could have made. Uh, and that was a decision at some point. Hopefully it was a decision, but probably not. <laughs> right. You know, at some, at some point I just ran out of juice and I didn't have time to think ahead. And, and then I sort of at the last minute was like, oh, shit, T-shirts. And I had to go into the basement and I was like, oh, shit, no more mediums. Oh, well. And so every medium T-shirt that I, should, I could have sold at that show, uh, you know, how much of that would go to, towards paying the person who's in charge of making sure that I'm never out of medium t-shirts. Right. Right. I mean, that's, that's part of the calculus. And for me, when it starts to, unfortunately it takes a, it takes a money hit like that for me to really start getting serious about it, where in actuality it's hurting me a lot, uh, a lot earlier than that because I'm, you know, I'm spending time thinking about it when I could be, I could be playing the guitar. <laughs> you right. know? Uh, and instead I'm, I'm ordering t-shirts uh, so I don't know. It's, it's a hard, that's, that's the really tricky part is when it's not this tangible financial thing, when you can't see it on a spreadsheet, exactly. how do you judge the, the, the cost of doing it? Well, and I, I mean, like setting apart for myself, setting aside my own ADD adult brain, it's like, for me, it's, it, it is often a matter of like, I don't even notice it's a problem until it's almost too late. And that's when I kick into Merlin mode and can kind of take care of it. But it's also, it's also, it's also a question of like, if I tried to be a completely responsible person and take care of everything before it happened, I don't think I'd get anything done. I would, I would just be like a Felix Unger character who just sat around all day making sure everything was in a straight line. You know, and it sounds like you almost need somebody who's just like an infrastructure person, like a really high level, like a Larry David style assistant, like somebody who just takes care of your stuff. Because the problem is not going to the website and ordering the shirts. The problem is realizing a week before you're out of them that you need shirts, right? Um, yes, that's true. But it's also, you know, in some ways, uh, it's also about long-term strategy. So really, if I were super smart and had been super smart from the beginning, I would have kept good records of 
how many of each size and style shirt I sold at each show and how right. many people there were there so that when I come back to Dallas, I will know uh, how many extra uh, of this size to bring and, and about how many per head am I going to sell? And have I, have I brought this design to the city before or, is it, or are people sick of it because they already have it? You know, it's that, it's that you should kind do of a dot, You should do a .NET database for that. That would be handy. Yeah, I should start building databases again. That's Have you ever idea, thought about Marla. doing any programming, Jonathan Colton? I think that's something you should look at. <laughs> I think about it every day. Every time I fold a T-shirt, I think about it. Hey, I need to take a bio break. Do you want to? Do you want to cut off here, or do you have a couple more minutes? Uh, you, cut off if you I, need to. Cut off. We'll, we'll do. We can do a wrap up. If actually, this is running pretty. This is a pretty good link, so we can just start cutting off if you want. Let's do that. Yeah. All right. Sure. Okay. But you, you, Oh, I just need to take a leak, but it's just—it's probably oh. as good as good a time as any. I'll cut this part out, <laughs> but okay. uh, but it's probably as good a time as any. Um, so you know, it's okay. We just we'll just do the. Yeah. I'll do a closing Why? thing. Yeah, sure. Or okay. do you want to do you want to take a leak and we'll have time for closing because your closings tend to be kind of long. No, shut up! Don't boss me. <laughs> you know what? You know what, Jonathan Colton, you're dead to me. My God, I own three of your T-shirts. I'm gonna go home and cut up two of them. I like one of them. I'm gonna cut up. Man, that that harms me. My my daughter my daughter likes the skull. She likes the skull a lot. She asked me about the skull. She really she's like she likes it a lot. Kids like skulls. Yeah, it's my lucky shirt. Well, uh, Jonathan Colton, thank you for sitting in. You know, uh, Dan's on sabbatical touring with I think that means touring with Black Sabbath. So it's really nice that that you uh, stepped in this week. And uh, do, you, do you, anything else you'd like to say about uh, your new uh, your new uh, contribution to your oeuvre, Artificial Heart? When's it when's it officially Audi make out out? Uh, there's not an official date yet. I'm still trying to work out the details but um i'm expecting that people will be able to buy it uh some time in august or early september so very soon what you know you're it's not like you're on uh the warner brothers or something like what is a if you could say without ruining the surprise i mean you're doing so many different things you got the cruise now you got a cruise you, you're joko crazy cruise you got all these interesting kind of i don't want to say side things because that you kind of side things are what constitutes your, your career in a lot of ways but when you launch a, a new record like what makes that a bang what do you you're not going to go buy posters for peaches like wh- what do you do to, to do a big release for your record Where, where's the primary place you'd like people to buy it for example uh, well, I think that, that probably it's going to be available first on my site. Smart. Uh, and my, my plan is to, uh, this is actually one of the things that I'm trying to line up before I can actually uh, release it, is that I, I would like to do a kind of a tiered uh, fan package option. So mm-hmm. I, I hope to offer like an instant digital download and, and then a download and a signed CD and then uh, a download and a CD and a T-shirt and a poster, and then like a giant crazy box of crazy things uh, for even more money. And I, uh, I'm I'm sort of trying to work out the details of that because I think it'd be fun. Um, and you know, I I uh, I ultimately am, am kind of excited about the way all these songs came together as a whole. And there's there's I won't say it's a concept album, but mm-hmm. it definitely feels to me like it's about something. And the design that I have going kind of reflects that, and and I have some other ideas to make that interesting. So, uh, you know, it, it's become the actual selling of it has become part of the part of the art in some ways, and I want to get that right. Um, and so, so the, pa- the packaging and the presentation becomes almost like in like the seventies, a gatefold. It becomes very much a part of the the, the, the artfulness of the product. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is a it's a it's a record album. So let's make it a record album. Yeah. I kind of feel like you know, um, so so that's 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 really what it is. Uh, that, that is the holdup at this point. And um, but it, it'll it'll be very it'll be very soon. It'll be very soon. Well, we're all looking forward to it, and we're all big fans here. So uh, thanks for a million for uh, sitting in for for Dan. And uh, like I say to Dan every week, I, I really I love you. No, oh, that's nice. And you're you're you know, I I I love you guys too. And I think uh, I'm incredibly flattered uh every time i'm mentioned on this podcast in, in relation <laughs> every time to you're told every time you're told that you've been mentioned <laughs> no i don't i don't i don't have time to listen to it for no busy guy like you you got t-shirts and sh- no I, I gotta pull some t-shirts <laughs> all right we'll break a leg jonathan thank you thanks very much Merlin.